founders and influencers from across the globe. It's been an exciting past few weeks, so we've just returned from our trip to India, where we connected with schools in local villages, providing them with supplies for their children and thinking of kind of ideas on the next steps for the project. So a huge thank you firstly to everyone who's provided us with the supplies. Um, It's really incredible to have the support. So I'm hugely excited about our guest today and it's really cool to have this guest kind of on my return from our trip. Um, He started out his incredible radio career on BBC Radio Radio 1, moving to Asian Network and then Five Live. I suppose I remember first listening to this guest when my mum would kind of cook in the kitchen or cleaning the house and listening to BBC Asian Network. I just absolutely love the way you kind of engaged, embraced and kind of challenged the Asian community and major topics. His career's led him into kind of DJing, interviewing incredible guests, talk shows and writing for major publications. So today's on the other side of the interview and I want to give a warm welcome to Nihal. How are you? I'm good. How are you? That was a lovely introduction. (laughs) Good stuff. I mean, before we start, so for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Liverpool fan. Nihal is a Spurs fan. I mean, what a week of comebacks. Do you feel like it's a bit of a dream still? Yeah, I watched it this morning again. So wow. you know, I'm 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 obsessed. I mean, I just you know, look, you're a Liverpool fan, so you've been you've done this many times. In fact, you did it last season. I mean, it ended up being a bit of a disaster, but you did end up doing it. Um, but uh, for us, it's a it's a pretty much a one-off. You know, it's it's uh, you just don't don't we don't experience something like this. Yeah, I mean, four four English Premier League teams as well in finals. I mean, you're, the other two, I suppose, are Chelsea and Arsenal, so you're probably not as as amazed by those. But yeah, it's still... No, in no, I couldn't care less about that, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. I suppose where I want to start is, how did your career start? I mean, did you always want a career in sort of the media or DJing, or was it something else? Something um. I don't think there was ever a plan, really. I just fell in love with music, specifically rap music, hip-hop culture. So the four kind of pillars of hip-hop culture, which is the, you know, the breakdancing and the DJing, the graffiti art and the MCing. And um, it gave me a sense of belonging, sense that being a little brown boy had significance and importance. And um, it was music. I mean, it was just, that was it, really. I mean, I had this dream of being a rapper. And, uh, you know, and like, and, uh, and just being in, uh, in recording studios and being on stage and wanting to perform. And, yeah, I guess, you know, I wanted, I wanted that. I wanted a sense of belonging. I wanted some validation. And hip-hop culture and hip-hop music gave me that sense of validation that, you know, in my primary school years, I just didn't have, you know, I just didn't have that, wanted to be something but was never quite kind of important enough or wasn't the right colour or, you know, just didn't fit in really um, in, 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 a, in a predominantly white environment in a village in Essex as a little brown boy, you know. It's, you become aware of your difference quite early on and, you can't perhaps 
quite identify it, but somehow when a, an argument happens or there's an issue, people take sides and you're not usually on the side of the majority. And then hip-hop came along, rap came along, and suddenly having melanin wasn't such a bad thing. In fact, it was quite a cool thing. And, uh, and that changed my life. Amazing. And so was it, did you start your career out kind of DJing and, and was that through um, kind of on the radio or, or were you doing it kind of just... I, so I never wanted to be on radio. I had no plans to be on radio. I hadn't even thought about radio. It was just all part of... No, I wanted to be a rapper, not a DJ. So I was emceeing, I was signed to record label. I did all kinds of things, you know. We were out there hustling, trying to get a record deal or get our music noticed. That's what we were doing. And uh, yeah, so DJing wasn't part of the plan. Radio wasn't part of the plan. It was just, these were just things that happened. Um, yeah. And then it kind of radio, um, it was interesting because, you know, I joined Radio 1. I joined Radio 1 as an Asian beats DJ. Mm. And I didn't know anything about Bhangra. I didn't know anything <laughs> about Bollywood. But I knew about music and I knew about urban music specifically black music and of course so much of what was Asian music was influenced by black music I mean even the Bhangra of the time with Dr. Zeus and DJ Sanj those yeah. guys they were all mixing up hip-hop you know that's what they they wanted they wanted to make versions of it there was the you know there's the pure Desi Bhangra of you know Kulbeep Manak and Gurdas Man etc etc but the, the, for the British sound it had to have uh it had to have black music in it, really. You know, yeah. there was, you know, even True School, who is a absolute phenomenon and an amazing producer. Even he, I mean, he's obsessed with hip hop, obsessed with rap producers. And that's where I came from. And Bobby Friction, I think he bought more of the electronica side of it. You know, mm. he bought that element to it. And then he had more of a knowledge of Bunga because he's Punjabi. You know, even in the Asian scene, you know, you've got to understand in the Asian scene, I was an outsider. Because I'm Sri Lankan, I'm Sri Lankan Sinhalese. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm not part of the mainstream of thought of, 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 of Asians. British Asians tend to be seen as either Pakistani or Bangladeshi, right? And I wasn't, I wasn't either of that. So, you know, I had to prove myself massively to the Asian music scene. Mm. Like the electronic part of it, the you know, Bad Martian Shree, Nitin Sawney, those guys, they all knew me because I'd yeah. worked for Outcast Records. So they, that side of it knew me, but the whole Bollywood and Bhangra scene, they didn't know me at all. And they didn't want, at the start, there was a lot of like, how has this guy got the job? Who is he? You know, and, and I had to, you know, I was back and forth to Birmingham all the time. I, I was, you know, all the record labels, Envy, which was one of the big labels at the time, I was all over that. I knew all those artists. I made it a point to to be, you know, at centre of it and understand that world, you know. Yeah, I bet it was like a bit of a kind of challenge to, I suppose, learn music. I, like it's a bit of a weird one because you're understanding a different element of music. I mean, if you're into hip hop and rap and stuff and then suddenly trying to listen to like Bhangra music, it's a completely to totally different kind of listening experience, I suppose. Yeah, it is. But I mean, Bhangra is early, easier to listen to because it's... Bhangra music primarily is quite straightforward party music. So it's like trying to understand house music in many ways, right? I mean, it, yeah. 
Bhangra music primarily is designed for hedonism. It's designed for, you know, look how many references there are to alcohol and and pretty girls and dancing. Look at the videos. That just the sound of the doll drum and the thumbi is 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 engineered to, for just to be stripped back, a raw, good time. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. So, in in that respect, it it, it wasn't that difficult. I mean, the language was difficult, but to be honest, I was massively. In, I'd worked French hip hop. I'd worked with um, Arabic rhyme music. So for me, it's never been about the language. Mm. It had been about the vibe. So when you hear a record like Punjiri by Gurdas Man, you don't necessarily have to know anything about the words. Yeah. You don't need to know the li- you don't un- need to necessarily understand every lyric in Yeah Dorsity to just realise it's just, it's just such an uplifting piece of music, mm. right? It's just from Sholay. So those kinds of things you ju- you just kind of got your head around. The more difficult part was to understand the industry. Mm. and to be able to spot spot the new artists that were coming through you know that was that for me was the bigger challenge and from you I suppose kind of joining the BBC I mean was that kind of they knocked on your door and said look we want you to do this or was it was that you kind of going to them and saying look this is the what I'm working on I'd love to kind of work with you guys or no so what happened was the BBC were looking for an Asian Beats show, and they were looking for presenters for Asian Beats. So this was a conversation that had obviously been going on for some time, and they had auditioned a number of people for this, and they'd made their mind up that Bobby Friction was going to be one of the presenters. Now, he had auditioned with another guy who ran a club night in Birmingham called Shanti, and it was pretty much done deal that Bobby Friction and this guy who ran this club night in Birmingham were going to be the presenters. Then on the last day of auditioning, I did the audition. And that threw a spanner in the works and they ended up stacking off the guy from Shanti because he obviously wasn't good enough. Oh, wow. And they put me with Bobby, which obviously must have put Bobby in a very difficult position because... You know, according to the guy from Shanti, they'd organised that they'd either both take it or none of them would take it. Hmm. But when it came down to it, you know, and you can't blame Bobby for this, really, I guess. Um, Bobby said, oh, and this is this is one side of it. Bobby may have a different story. Uh, Bobby accepted their offer, but accepted it with me attached to it hmm. because I brought something that Bobby didn't have, and Bobby brought something that I didn't have. But what I was bringing was obviously superior to what the other guy had. Um, And the only reason I found out Radio 1 were looking for this was because a a friend of mine, who's now a very successful guy in the music industry, he rang me and he said, and he was pretty successful then, he rang me and he said, look, Radio 1 are looking for a specialist DJ. You should go for the job. That was it. Wow. Incredible. And I did, And and I I did one audition. It was great, obviously. Then I did a second one. It was rubbish, and I thought I'd lost it. But they still decided to go 
go with me and 17 years later I'm still at the BBC. Amazing and then what made you want to move so you you're obviously doing kind of the music side of things with the BBC and then it was more kind of um, I suppose talk show and was that a bit of a change for you as well because that's something completely different to kind of I suppose there was still the mix of the music but then the the types of conversations you were having it was just kind of more in depth on the radio show was that something you pitched to them and said look I want to kind of have these open and frank conversations on BBC Asian Network or was that something they they said to you so a man called George Mann at the BBC Asian Network saw a documentary I did for Channel 4 and he said oh can you come and do some cover on the phone-in show when Anita Rani I think it might have been Anita Rani at the time was doing it and can you cover for her when she she's not doing it and I started doing it the audience seemed to like me. The production team thought, okay, this is good. And it just so happened that Anita was, I think, also just wanted to get away from it. She wanted to get away from kind of Asian uh, thing. Or maybe she didn't want to get away from it, but it was that her career was just taken off in television. That's, I think she's, she's more comfortable. She's very much television, Anita. So she was just doing more yeah. TV, which came in. And also at the same time, basically, Radio 1 was saying to me, you need to get more broadcast time. So in order for us to kind of push you where we want you to go, we want you to go off. So here's the football analogy. We're going to loan you out to the championship for a season <laughs> or two to kind of come back into the Premier League. That was the kind of what I was told at the time, because I was also beginning to do bits and bobs of daytime Radio 1. So I was covering for Chris Miles. Or I was covering for Scott Mills, you know, these big iconic shows on Radio 1. So there was this, all of this kind of going on. And then, then for me, I kind of, I, do, I didn't see my future in either Radio 1 or DJing. I saw my future being more comfortable in doing speech radio because speech radio, look, I'm in my late 40s now. Speech radio is something that, you know, I can do until I'm in my 60s. Right, like it's yeah. just whereas you can't be a Radio One DJ, <laughs> right, in your sixties, right? You got it's not, it's not really cool. <laughs> to, to, you know, you're just this is not going to happen. Like I didn't want to be in a club, like DJing. I don't mind being in a club now, but yeah. as a punter, but I don't want to be in a club telling loads of eighteen-year-olds to put their hands in the air. Like I'm not, I'm not. It, it, it doesn't really inspire me or interest me very much anymore to, to do that. So, I mean, you're talking to some kind of incredible guests day in and day out. And, and I absolutely love that you feed what you're kind of what, what you're talking about on the radio. It comes through on your kind of social media and, and the interaction you get from the public is great as well. Kind of obviously good and bad kind of opinions out there. But obviously, that's just kind of the world that we live in. I mean, are there any kind of standout interviews which have either kind of affected you or or changed your opinion on particular topics? You know, for me, I think that's that's a, that's kind of the question for me that you've asked yeah. because I'm constantly asking people to come out of their echo chamber, and the question really that I have to ask myself is, am I? But then I have to say, well. My job is not to come out of an echo chamber because I'm representing loads of echo chambers. I'm trying to mash them all together. So mm. I, don't, I don't, I mean, it's, 
you know, I was empathetic to begin with. I think doing the shows has made me more empathetic. It has certainly made me understand the issues. I mean, it depends whether you're talking from a Five Live perspective or an Asian Network perspective. Let's go for Asian Network because I think there's always kind of interesting conversations on there as well. I mean, both, both, well, but I, yeah, I think, Asian okay. Right. So for me, the thing that disgusts me most is the amount of prejudice that Asians have with each other, mm. right? You know, and how quickly Asians will turn on each other and it kind of explains how easy it was to colonize india because we're so easily divided caste system religion skin color i mean they're all of these things and all of this stuff came out to me when i was hosting that phone-in show that i just found so uncivilized mm. i just felt you know you can't be proud to be you can't be proud to be punjabi for instance if the punjab kills more baby girls mm. alongside haryana than any yeah. other state in india like you have to be like well this is not acceptable right you can't you can't you can't be proud to be um you know gujarati you know and accept what happened in the gujarat riots and Muslims were slaughtered. You know, you got to confront these issues, but people didn't want to confront them. People wanted to be, they want, they were entrenched in their own prejudice. And I'd kind of spent so long fighting prejudice from without the Asian community. And then I came into the Asian community. And you know, when you do a phone in show on the BBC Asian Network, you get a crash course on Asians. Yes. Like literally in about two years. You know, you can have conversations about the 1984 Sikh massacres, as some people call them, riots, as other people call them, genocide, as other people call them. You get a crash course in this. And, it, you know, it's backfired on me. I had a horrible kind of six months with various sections of the Sikh community once, which I fell out with um, extraordinarily. I was accused of being anti-Muslim, anti-Hindu, anti-Sikh. Um, I've been through all of that on the Asian network um, at the heart of it. And it was always like, especially when you're doing anything about religion, you're essentially walking through a minefield. And I always said to myself, you just disagree with whoever's speaking. That way, if they're all accusing you of being anti, then you're doing a good job, right? If, if they think you're anti-Muslim, anti-Sikh and anti-Hindu, that means essentially you're challenging all three of those communities yeah. and they don't, and some of them don't like it. They just don't like it. You know, the fact that Bindramwala is not a saint to every Sikh is something that people who love Bindramwala can't accept. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you have to challenge them on that. Equally, those who would say, well, no smoke without fire therefore you know the things that happened in 84 you have to challenge that you can't let people get away with that and one thing that i always stuck to was i'm not going to let you get away with that i'm not because i'm sri lankan Sinhalese buddhist so i don't care about the centuries of mughal oppression of hindus or the yeah getting mughal uh issues with the sikh community i don't care about I don't care. It's not personally 
part of my culture or my history. Yeah. So I can sit above all of it because I don't have an agenda, mm. right? So it's very difficult, I guess, for a Hindu presenter, mm. say a, a Brahmin Hindu presenter, to have a conversation about, you know, what happened in the Punjab in the 80s because mm. they'll get accused, whatever they say. I mean, I get accused of it in the Sri Lankan context. So because I'm Sinhalese, I get accused of being anti-Tamil. God. <laughs> I'm just about, but my thing is I'm anti-ignorance and I'm yeah. anti-bigotry and I'm anti-opinions masquerading as facts. That's mm. kind of what I'm anti. Everything else, I'm good. But those three things, are, I'm just anti that. So you can't tell me, you can't complain about how a white colleague is racist to you and then you say something horrible about a Muslim. Like yeah, it does, yes. It does. That doesn't make sense. Or you make your daughter feel bad because she's got brown, dark brown skin. Or when your son was born, you had sweets, but you didn't do the same thing when your daughter was born. Like I can't, I can't accept that. I yeah. can't just, you know. And BBC bias, you know. BBC, you're supposed to be editorially independent, but you can't be indep editorially independent of ignorance. Mm. Right? You can't, you, can't, you can't be. You can't just allow this this shit to happen you know and people yeah. just think well that's, that's fine and look, i'm not perfect you know i've got a, i've got a boy and a girl and i've learned so much about how i should talk to them and how i should talk to my daughter especially because i think asian asian women um you know there are some really terrible things that happen to asian women and not just as the media would have it muslim women you mm. know I've heard from plenty of horrible stories about how Sikh girls have been treated or lower caste Hindu girls have been treated or Muslim girls who are not allowed to go to university. I mean, I've, I've heard all of these stories. Mm. You know? And what I find so interesting is like being in kind of Asian Sikh girl born and raised in the UK. My parents are from the UK as well. I coming back from India kind of after 21 years, the last time I went was when I was five. I still just see, I mean, I, it's bad because I always have a judgment on how kind of young girls are left kind of literally out on the street if they're born into a family and they're a girl they're literally left out on the street in India but actually there's a lot of problems here in the UK and it's still it's, it's just when you hear stories about young girls the way they're, they're treated by their family here in the UK and you're like your parents are educated yet they still have this very backward mentality of coming back from India and they bring it here to the UK they put it onto their daughter so I think it's great that someone like you as well is kind of challenging these people to say for example like the sweets like if you're giving it to the boy it should be given to the girl as well and these are really like simple things but in our culture they're just kind of blown up of proportion etc but I mean one thing for me is when when we were at the schools the teachers would call the boys by their name but the girls they would just call the girl which I just find incredible. It's like from the the ages of five and six, you're already saying that the young boy should have a name, but you are just known as the girl, as the same as all the other hundreds of girls in the school as well. So, yeah, it's it's something which is still happening, and and I don't know how far away we are for, from kind of equality in the Asian community. Well, it's about. I mean, it's the the difficult thing is what parts of your culture do you mm. keep and which parts of them do you lose and people are super paranoid over here about their kids becoming quote unquote too westernized yeah yeah but 
you kind of got to ask yourself the question, why are you here? You know, if, if westernization is so bad, what, why, why are you here? There are amazing things about Western culture. You know, in Western culture, people, were, women, widows are not encouraged to throw themselves on funeral pyres, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, Western, Western culture, you are not deemed lower caste from birth and told you can't touch the same water as me. You can't sit on the same bus as me. Like, you know, they don't do any of that stuff, right? In Sri Lanka, no, so in the UK, even with the grooming gangs, right? You imagine what would have happened if a group of white men had targeted Indian girls in, a, in India. What would have happened to them? Right? They would have been strung up. Yeah. You know, yeah. there are people murdered in villages in India because it is claimed that they ate cow. They ate yeah. beef. Incredible. Right? So we, we live in a very, I feel blessed that my parents, and look, uh, this country isn't perfect. No country is. But my God, I can't think of another country, perhaps apart from Canada, where I'd rather live. Yeah, very true. I mean, even when you come back from India, you do just thank. I, mean, I suppose I'm just thankful that kind of I've been born and raised here, educated here. Um, and yeah, I know I, f I find it incredible when people say they have so many issues with the way the Western world is. And it's just kind of like, well, just move back then or, or go to a different country sort of thing. I, yeah, it's it's crazy. But that, that's fine. You know, that's fine. And, you know, equally when racists go, well, if you don't like it here, go back home. Right? Yeah. You are you are allowed to you are allowed to criticize this country but you can't expect your children to grow up as if they've grown up in islamabad or jalanda if they've yeah. grown up in birmingham or, yeah. or or west london i mean it, it, it you can't you can't what you can do is is believe in them and trust mm. them you know i mean i don't know if you're aware of your past are you a are you a jut yeah i'm a jut yeah right so if you are you married no do you want to, would your parents accept you marrying someone who wasn't a jut yeah they're they're right so i live with my grandparents as well so interesting question because it's would my parents accept that and then would my grandparents accept that and in my eyes yes they would um but you don't know until the situation happens they say yes we would be open to whoever you marry um, but yeah, you don't know until you're in the situation. I'd like to think that they would be open to it. For you, is it about I'll fall in love with who I want to fall in love with, or would you, out of respect to your parents, try and find a Punjabi judge? So interesting as well. So, I mean, when I was, so I'm 26 now, but when I was 21, 22, I was just very open, kind of, I want to be with this person, um, no matter what kind of what caste, what religion they are, whatever the colour of their skin is. But then as the conversations get further into a relationship, and as I kind of grew more into kind of understanding my religion a bit more, it became interesting that actually I would like to marry someone who's Sikh or I mean whether they're Jat that doesn't really matter to me personally because I believe the caste system wasn't part of Sikhism it was actually just part of culture not religion essentially so for me yeah, that well I mean matter, it's fairly obvious because um I think uh was it Guru Gobind Singh Ji I mean the the whole idea of the culture is anti-caste right yeah 
exactly. my understanding is is that it is completely the whole the whole idea of being a single core is to make yeah. sure that you are not discriminated against. Yeah, Very, uh, and I don't know if that was yeah I don't know if that was Sri Guru Nanak Dev Ji or whether it was Sri Guru uh, Gobind Singh, Singh Ji. I don't know which guru it was, but um, but I understand. Well, I know it's Guru Gobind Singh Ji that was the tenth guru. Uh, and yeah. it was the Khalsa, but I, 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 I mean, I, that's the, I mean, the conversation I always used to have on the Asian network with Sikhs about being juts. I mean, good grief, juts love telling the world they're juts, don't oh, they? God, yeah, yeah, they really <laughs> do. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. And you're kind of like, okay, fine, that's fine. Be proud of being a jut, <laughs> but don't, don't make out that you're. I remember once someone saying to me. Um, they texted and said, you will never meet a jut with a bad job, right? <laughs> oh, like, God. And, and, someone, and someone tweeted going, oh, that's interesting because the caretaker at our school is a jut, right? <laughs> no disrespect to caretakers, but, you know, it, it, it isn't, you know, it isn't a, a hedge, hedge fund manager or a surgeon. No, so... Um, <laughs> So it, it was like, a, so the, the kind of arrogance of, uh, of that. So, I mean, look, I've got a daughter and a son. Um, and, you know, you have to think, think, okay, what if they're gay? Fine. Yeah. Okay. Fine for me. Uh, sadness because I worry about the bigotry in society against people who are gay. Mm. Uh, what if they marry uh, someone of a completely different culture? You know, if I love my children as much as I say I do, then I want them to be happy. Yeah. And their happiness should not be based on my approval or not, mm. based on culture. And my my brother and I both married Sri Lankan Buddhist same caste women. We wow. both did. And our parents never asked us to. My first girlfriend was Jamaican. My last girlfriend before um, I met Isha was Swedish, who I met in Stockholm. So I'd never, I'd never been out of a Sri Lankan girl before. And uh, suddenly it was all good. And we both married and we, you know, my mum, my mum now has, uh, you know, three Sri Lankan grandchildren. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I just, one thing I realised massive from the Asian network is that I don't want to spend my life beating myself up over are they going to be this? Are they going to be that? Are they? Yeah. We don't. I don't own my children. No. You know, I, I, I was I was involved in their birth, and I and I and I at this point in time I house them, I clothe them, I feed them. Hopefully, I inspire them in some ways. Uh, other ways, I'm I'm giving them really terrible habits because I'm never on time for anything, <laughs> so, as you've discovered. So there's, you know, so there's, there's, all, there's all kinds of things we're trying to do. But one thing I'm not going to worry about is who they're going to marry and are they a yeah. good Buddhist or, uh, you know, yeah. I, I just, no. I've I just seen too many people. Yeah, I just remember once someone telling me that when they go to their parents' house, their parents have pictures of every single one of their grandchildren other than this person's children because she married out of caste so when her kids go around to their grandparents they don't see any photos of them and I thought to myself how ignorant is that yeah like how ignorant is that that is you you get no excuses for your culture 
There's no right. get out clause for that, right? You don't go, well, that's our culture. If she decides to go out, then she, her children are, that we won't have pictures of them up. I mean, oh. are you nuts? Like, are you like clinically certifiably bonkers? Yeah, I, don't, I just see, I, I can't get that. I don't, I don't get how you would sacrifice your own happiness because yeah. of what the community will think. Mm. You know, forget the community, man. Like, if you're not paying my mortgage, I'm not interested. You yeah. don't have a say. You don't have a vote. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I mean, and um, that's kind of what I try to get across to the Asian Network audience, really. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's probably why you've kind of been challenged as well, because they hate hearing that, because they think the culture is yeah. the main thing. And it's, it's culture's great as well, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, come on, there's some there's things. There's amazing the parts of the culture. There are Which amazing time? parts of the culture. You're right. But they, they aren't it, you know. No. They definitely. are not it. Let's talk about, so the British Asian Trust and how you got involved. I mean, it's an incredible project. It's done hugely successful things within the Asian community. Um, are, are there any kind of key successes which stand out for you or challenges um, that you kind of witnessed being a part of the trust? Um, I think the main challenge is to engage the young British Asian diaspora with it. Because right. I don't think they know about it. I don't think they care about it. Um, and it's great, it's Prince Charles and lots of millionaires and billionaires hanging around <laughs> and giving money. And, it, and, and, and you know, it's great. And, and all that work that is done, incredible work that is done in, in country, it's great. And the, and the model of it, of social entrepreneurship, mm. whereby there are social impact bonds. So you're almost bringing a kind of business model, investment model to get returns on what you're doing and those returns will only come to you if those projects that you are involved in actually affect change yeah. and ultimately I think for many years charities haven't quite got it right in terms of how do we measure success mm -hmm. what does success look like you know and you need longer term goals you know you can't like it's that thing, isn't it? Is you buy them fish or you buy them a fishing net and a boat. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, the simple thing about it. And um, yeah, so British Asian Trust is, is great because it's got Prince Charles's seal of approval. He's the founding patron. He deeply cares about South Asia. He has mm -hmm. a great love for it that his, his uncle, great uncle, Earl Mountbatten, um, instilled in him and um and it's you know it's it's work i think yeah i think the one thing it's missing is is its connection with other with 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 well people like you right i mean yeah you and your most of your mates will probably have no idea about the british asian trust no they wouldn't <laughs> right they wouldn't you know they wouldn't know what it does they wouldn't know why it's there and yet these same people that will go to India and looking for ways perhaps to help India because they care about, they go to Punjab and they'll look at the, the issues around alcohol and drug abuse and yeah. they'll think, well, why, wow, we need to help. Like, how can we help? Um, and that, and there, there is the, there's the choice, right? You just go, okay, well, how do I help? Go, okay, here's a, here's a way you can help, help the British Asian Trust. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a lot of marketing work that needs to be done. Um, and it, it can't just be around, you know, 
someone from Hollyoaks and <laughs> stop, you know someone like Naughty Boy, right? It can't, it just can't be just those guys. Yeah. So um, it, it can't just be kind of celebrity faces. It needs to be more of like what are we actually trying to kind of. I suppose solve I mean there's so many kind of different issues within the Asian community there's so many things to celebrate there's so many things to change so I suppose it's seeing real people um, which I rarely see when I see the Asian kind of British Asian Trust I rarely see people like me I suppose who who kind of want to make a change I'm not saying that they're celebrities who don't want to make a change definitely not because there there are but is it just to say that you're Asian join this community sort of thing it's yeah quiet and and in the past i think some of the celebrities some of them i certainly got the feeling was it was more about um it was more about turning up and having their photo taken with prince charles than it was about yeah. really worrying you know and and the british asian trust themselves are, are wary of that and they want to make sure that anyone who is an ambassador is doing it for the right reasons and yeah. wants to be there, you know? Mm. And no. you've got a night for Sri Lanka coming up as well. So what an amazing campaign. Is that something that you've kind of put together? Because I know you've got kind of a host of different comedians and kind of faces as well. So Yeah, so two weeks ago, my wife sat sitting up in bed and she went, we've got to do something for Sri Lanka. Like no one else is doing anything. Yeah. And you know, I've got I've got a little bit of profile, and, and luckily a mate of mine uh, is Ramesh Ranganathan, also British Sri Lankan, and um, and I just texted him and said we need to do something, and he was like, yeah, we do, and within an hour he he'd got the Indigo O2 booked, and within three days we'd got a lineup of comedians. Well, he'd got a lineup of comedians because they're all on his management off the curb so and then and then i think we've pretty much sold it out you know 2000 tickets uh british asian trust sponsoring um yeah ramesh ranganathan Catherine ryan harry hill joe brand rob beckett i mean it's an extraordinary lineup it's great for you as well obviously kind of from a sri lankan background I, i just found it when i saw it i was like thankfully there are people who are doing something but isn't it crazy that something like that happens and no no one did anything really? I didn't I didn't see anything on social media about well, how I, mean, that. I, I think I think look, as as my wife rightly said uh for me, um we should be doing it. Like we are yeah, Sri Lankan, yeah. you know, we, we should be doing it. We shouldn't I shouldn't wait for Steve or Sandra to do something. But I should yeah. do something. Yeah. Right? And and, and and um and we did you know and um we want to keep doing it we want to make sure that sri lanka is in people's minds and and we're very the british asian trust are collecting the money for us they mm-hmm. will then uh because they're transparent and they've got the organization to be able to make sure that you can trace every penny uh they've also got on the ground in sri lanka people that can um look into the any anywhere where we give money to and That's we're very much about a, a, a medium and long-term issues revolving around the people whose lives have been changed by this. So yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder, mental health issues. That's what we're interested in, really. The children, how they're going to be prepared through therapy, to deal with their loss, to deal with what's gone on, the violence that's been around them. 
So that's what we want to that's what we want to put the money towards, you know. And we'll you know, we'll be clear with the people on the night, you know, this money will not be spent like next week. Yeah. You know, it might it might not it might take months before we find exactly where the needs are because we're still yeah. we're still just a month away from this, right? This is still a relatively new thing that has happened. Mm. So and I suppose you, you don't know, as you, as you said, post-traumatic stress, like you don't know how, how this will affect people six months, 12 months down the line, no, I suppose. No, idea. Absolutely. You've got no idea. So, you know, in that respect, we just, we just we just need to wait and see. We need to speak to people who are there, who are dealing with them and saying, right, this is what is needed. So, bear, you know, I'm going to say this to the audience on Sunday night, so bear with us. You know, if you don't see something spent straight away, we haven't done anything with it, right? As we do things, as we speak to people, you will see what we are doing. Um, yeah. And that's, but in the short term, just I'll thank people for just coming, you know, just spending that money and deciding, yeah, you know, they're great comedians, but this feels good to me to come and, and support an event like this. You know, that's an amazing, it's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, no, it's an incredible event, and uh, yeah, it's it's great to see, and it's good to also hear that it's is it sold out or nearly sold out? Oh yeah, I mean, it's, it, I can't even think of it. Maybe, maybe like ten or twenty or thirty tickets wow. left. And also, all those tickets are like right at the back, standing. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's you know, you can't get a seat. You won't get a seat. Like that, all of those are gone, long gone. So. <laughs> So it's, it's an incredible time. night. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we want to raise, and also as well, the British Asian Trust has provided us with a text number, so people can text anything between one and twenty pounds to that number, and then that will be collected um, as well. Um, yeah, so it's good. Great, great initiative. Good. So moving on to kind of my final question, it's one that I ask kind of all my guests um, when they come onto the show. So. If you could give your younger self any advice, what would it be? Do you know what it would be? It would be believe in yourself. The fact that you're in the room means that you deserve to be in the room. And it took me years to, to not feel as though I was inferior or that someone was doing me a massive favour by having me in the room. Um, you know, to... Yeah, definitely to believe in myself or, yeah, from a, from a younger age, it would have been just to not rely on, on everyone else for your own validation. Yeah. You know, to, to, to just say, well, okay, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I can't, I'm, I'm learning. I'm still, I mean, even at this age, I'm still learning. 100%. Still learning, you know. There's still so much to understand and absorb, you know. So yeah, the younger self, there'd be a lot of things I think, but that would be the main thing because it wouldn't be any career things or you shouldn't have done that actually, because everything has led me to this point. Exactly. Now, everything has led me to this point now, and um, yeah, and and you can't change any of that stuff because it may have led you into, you know, if I hadn't done. If I hadn't done some bit of rapping, then I may not have become a DJ. If I'm a DJ, I went to join Radio 1. Radio 1 took me to Sri Lanka, was where I met my wife. So 
there's all kinds do you know what I mean like so there's all kinds of things that I wouldn't change any of that but one thing I would be is just believe in myself from a lot earlier a lot earlier mm. no, I now I'm like, like only since I joined five live if I'm honest that I'm really like I'm good at this like I'm I'm because when you're doing phone-ins on the Asian networking debates and everyone's telling you, oh, well, that's a good debate and that interview was good and blah, 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 it's fine. But ultimately, it is a small audience. Yeah. So you really, again, it's championship versus Premier League. But once you can mm -hmm. score goals in the Premier League, which is what I've been doing since I joined Five Life, then you get that kind of, okay, yeah. I'm good at this. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, uh, you are. <laughs> I've got skills. Yeah. Well, you know, it takes a while, right? And um, and you can never get complacent about it. Every interview right. should be a challenge, you know, to get the best out of the interviewee and have little nuggets of knowledge. Just um, I interviewed Kiefer Sutherland the other day, and he was just like, he was like, oh wow, how did you know that? You've really done your research. Then I interviewed nice. Guy Chambers, who who uh, wrote most of the Robbie William hits the other day, and he said exactly the same thing. He said, wow, how did you know that? And you know those kind of moments where you get people on side because you've you've done your research and you know what you're talking about. On on Monday, I'm going to the the government's chemical west weapons testing place at Porton wow. Down. It's the first time a radio show has been able to broadcast from a place like that. So you know you got to know your stuff, right, about chemical weapons yeah. and about explosives and the work that they do at Porton Down and the secrets that they hold and you know. Absolutely love it. And thank you so much, Nihal. I mean, you've been an incredible guest and I absolutely love kind of listening to your shows. And now that you're on kind of Five Live as well, it's it's definitely kind of branched out the different topics that you're talking about. Um, yeah. For those of you who are listening as well, uh, I'll provide all the social media details. I'll provide details of the kind of uh, event which is happening. Is it this weekend, the, the event for Sri Lanka? Yeah, it's called A Night for Sri Lanka at the Indigo O2. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Sunday night from uh, 7.30 p.m. Nice. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nihal. Oh, you're welcome. I'm sorry it's taken so long.